boy's got utter belief in it. And somehow she's found the acceleration. Hello, everyone. I hope you had a good Labor Day. I hope you had a good summer. It's time to get back to work. Track and field athletes are back to work. Zurich Diamond League is in the books. Grant Fisher returned from injury with an impressive run. Year to Goose has taken down Josh Kerr, made it two straight with an inside pass. The Chinese have finally hosted a Diamond League. We had a great 800 national record for the Mexican women in 3000 world lead by Christian Coleman upset win by Hansley Parchment Eddie Wiley has run 157 how ridiculous is the teen phenom Jim Walmsley and Courtney DeWalter are your UTMB champions Clayton Young has won the US 20k title but was the fix in this is Let's Run co-founder Robert Johnson, feeling great, excited to be back, full-time in the office. Screw Labor Day, screw the summer, time to work. I've just written one of my greatest columns ever, the week that was. I will tell you why I'm not backing down, folks, why Noah Lyle should still be worried, or a tiny bit worried about that gold medal next year. Also, did you know that African-born men won 64 straight world championship distance golds until last year? Now they've lost two of four. What could explain that? It's going to be an amazing show. We want to hear from you. 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. Unlike Twitter, unlike Facebook, we love you. We want to hear from you. Gentlemen, good to see you. John, you seemed a little sour on the pre-show. Hopefully you recover from your jet lag and your European vacations. Time to get to work. Oh, is it? I mean, I had, my European vacation, I was walking through Thursday night. I got maybe one day on friday in which i was traveling to england so and then i got labor day and the weekend i we're not supposed to work the weekends usually so i don't know if it was much of a vacation but i'm happy to be back discussing track i was a little sour because for the millionth podcast in a row we somehow took half an hour to get started this is amazing people i don't know how it happens but piece of magic strikes whenever we're doing a live podcast we're able to start it about within about seven minutes of our target time. Whenever we say we're going to record a podcast, suddenly someone has technical issues that take 25 minutes to resolve or someone's late for some reason or another. And I'm just sitting here twiddling my thumbs, figuring out what's going on. So that might be why I'm a little angry. Maybe I need to sleep a little more. I'm, I'm st- my sleep schedule is a little out of whack. I mean, feel like Worlds is in its own time zone. You just go to bed whenever and time isn't real. So kind of getting back into the real world. and back in the US after Brighton had a wonderful 3-1 win over Newcastle. Patrick by teenager, Evan Ferguson. We don't need to dwell on that. I am excited to talk track. I was in Zurich. It was a great meet. Really enjoyed that. Got some stuff we got to figure out. I mean, Addie Wiley, 157. Clayton Young beating Connor Mance. I want to talk about that. Yeah, I'm excited to talk track with you guys. I'm glad you're twiddling your thumbs while waiting and not twiddling something else like Jeffrey Tubin, John. You liberals. <laughs> what are you accusing me of? You think just you think liberals are more prone to just masturbate on Zoom, Rojo? That's what your assessment is? Conservatives, they, they go into the closet. They hide their sexual fetishes. This is supposed to be a kids-friendly podcast. By the way, 
I think it was the live show that we did last week. One of them got, it was only available for partial monetization on YouTube. Apparently an algorithm flagged it as questionable. I think it was because Weldon was talking about having had a colonoscopy that day. So we need to improve our language. I see Weldon. He's got a smile on his face. What are you excited about, Weldon? I was listening to Soccer Podcast. I should be introduced as two-time national team member, Weldon Johnson. You just have to give a quick synopsis of how people are here. Has anyone represented the USA twice and done worse than I have in both times? Probably not. I'm doing great. I woke up on well, I didn't I didn't hear it till Labor Day, but there was a bonus podcast put out by Robert for Supporters Club members about the Xenoman Chinese Diamond League meet. I listened to that. That was nice. So if you're not a supporters club member, you need to be. If you love this podcast, you can get a second podcast every week, sometimes a third. We had daily podcasts from Worlds. If you really want to stay abreast of the running world, join today. Let's run.com slash subscribe. You can get huge savings and running shoes too. It's it's like a no-brainer. You get a free t-shirt if you join for a year. Use code CLUB25 to save 25%. But Rojo, thank you for that podcast. And the Diamond League's still going. We had a, we had Zurich on Thursday, so we had a Sporters Club podcast after that. China on Saturday. I, I, I honestly was off one day. What, what I thought the meet was the next day. And then we have Brussels on Friday, John? Thursday. Friday afternoon. We'll do a Let's Run live reaction show afterwards to kick off your weekend. I want to talk about this Yaman meet. We got a bunch of things to discuss. Robert, I did enjoy the quick recap. I listened to it on the bus on Sunday. I was going for a hike along the Seven Sisters on the cliffs of beautiful sunny Sussex. So I listened to that on my way to the start of my hike. I mean, one of our old favorites, Rojo, saying that Grant Holloway, because he struggles over the last few hurdles, should change his coach. I just love that Robert's takeaway after Grant Holloway wins his third straight world title is because he gets run down and hits the final hurdle in some diamond league that isn't really all that important. He should change his coaches and he's fatally flawed as opposed to focusing on he's won the biggest race of the year the last two years and three of the four seasons he's been in the hurdles i just can't believe that's your takeaway as opposed to parchment ran a great race i only say it out of love big fan of grants i guess maybe my real my expectations are unrealistic like i want him to consistently run like between 1290 and 1295 every race so you basically like, want what? him to put together the greatest season in the history of the 110 hurdles yeah, and I, maybe that's unrealistic to expect. You know, we never had Usain Bolt running 19-4 every race. But the hurdles is a rhythm race. He's just so good. And the fact that he's unbeatable at 60-meter hurdles, to me, which is – you would think that would be impossible. You clip a hurdle in the first 60 and you lose. This guy never loses the 60 hurdles. He's a monstrous athlete. He's super fast. He's good at the 400. He's good at the long jump and high jump. Like, I, I don't think it's a speed issue. Maybe it's a height issue that causes him to slow down, but it's just, I don't know. I was watching the race live, had a pretty good start. I didn't think his actual reaction time was perfect, but he's, he's amazing at the beginning of the race. And the, the, the announcers thought he was going to victory. And I'm like, no, he's going to get run down. So, it's a I'm just nervous for him, John. I, it, it reminds me a little bit of Rudisha. I was afraid Rudisha was going to lose the Olympics. Now he didn't. He put up a magnificent world record performance. In London, 
But I was like, oh, this guy deserves the gold. And I'm like, the hallway deserves the gold. I'm not sure he's going to get it. And we, we can talk about the same thing about Noah Lyles. Like, just because you're really good doesn't mean you're going to win a gold medal. Timothy Chariot will, will die without an Olympic gold medal. So it, it makes the sport more interesting. But I just think your take shows such an ignorance of the sprinting events and skill sets and that sort of thing. Like, would you argue Christian Coleman needs to abandon his coach? He always has the lead at 60 meters, yet he doesn't always win the, the 100, Robert. He's always slowing down at the end of the races. If he can just keep up his start the whole way, why, he'd win every race. Why shouldn't he? It, some athletes are better at different things. Like, Tom Brady didn't have Patrick Mahomes' arm. It's all right. Like, I just think saying, oh, he needs to change coaches. Mike Holloway is one of the best sprint coaches in the entire world. He's well aware of Grant Holloway's struggles over the last few hurdles. Most of the time, it's not an issue for Grant, and it hasn't been in his three world championship finals. I didn't say necessarily he should change Mike Holloway, and Mike Holloway's my I think guy. You said he I should dump him. his coach, and Mike Holloway's his coach. I said so, he should get a Yeah, you did. He should see it. He should see an outside consultant and, and Holloway's coaching Knighton, right? So I need, I need Holloway to real, actually, maybe he should dump Grant, focus on Knighton so I can be vindicated next year. John, the difference between the Tom Brady analogy is a poor one. I don't think that there's, that there's anything physically holding Holloway back. I feel like if you have them sprint all out 100, 200, 400, Holloway crushes parchment. I think he's faster than him. I think he's a better hurdler than him. It just, it doesn't make sense to me that he's slowing down. Yeah, like I, I feel like, yes, a fast start or not, that's kind of genetic. I don't think there's anything genetic, maybe other than being tall, which could be the problem. I would love to see a statistical analysis. The guys at Altus and the gals at Altus analyze the speed over every hurdle. Why is he slowing down? How does his speed compare to others? I don't know enough about it, but, you know, saying he's not – oh, Tom Brady's not as – yes, Tom Brady's not as athletic as Patrick Mahomes, but I think Grant Holloway – is more athletic than all of these guys. He gets an amazing start. To me, he should be pulling away from them. Instead, he's getting run down. Okay, maybe we it's, need to talk to a sprint expert who can explain it to us. You know, in expert terms. But I, I do kind of, I sort of get where you're coming from there. All right, another thing on Siaman, I need your take on this, Robert, because I watched the meet as well. Tim Hutchings provided the commentary, and then afterwards we went to the Brighton match. It was a lovely afternoon uh, down at the stadium. So he was doing a road? Yes, full disclosure. That was from a stadium. Uh, it was from a set near Heathrow Airport. He was not in Siamen for that meet. So How do you say the word? He was saying Siamen, which I'm just going to roll with. I think that's what Chris Dennis was calling it. Wait, you watched the meet on TV and then went to a soccer game with him in Brighton, John? Yeah. Did you watch him broadcast the meet? Did you go to the studio? No, I, I just watched it on my computer from my Airbnb. Wow. So this proves it. There's not a single person who went to all the Diamond League meets. I want one person in physical. I would love to know if there's a single person who went to every single Diamond League meet this year. It'd be really hard to do this year. I don't think so. You'd have to fly from Zurich on Thursday night and get to China by Saturday evening. I mean, that's just that's a bear of travel. But my question i wanted to throw out to you so i watched this meet there were some good races i really liked the men's 800 and it was a very close finish between marco arop the gold medalist at worlds and emmanuel wenyoni the silver medalist at worlds they're battling it out down the home straight very fast time uh wenyoni got the win 143 20 over marco arop's 143 24 arop just missed the canadian record but he did get a personal best 
And at the finish line, I watched this replay like 15 times. Marco Ayrock, he's looking over. He thinks he might be ahead, but it's going to be close. He throws his hand up, and his finger is extended. It is exactly what you would look like in a number one gesture. And he kind of had a smile on his face at the same time. So he threw it up, but he also is kind of throwing his chest out to lean at the finish line. And to me, it looked like it looked like when someone sticks their finger up in a number one crossing the finish line, it's an early celebration, and he got beat. But then I've got Spencer Nell, who's the sports marketing head of Adidas, saying, no, 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 that's not what happened. He was throwing his arm out to propel his chest forward, essentially, to cross the finish line. And I've got other people saying, yes, this is exactly what happened, and they're calling me an idiot. I'm like, well, look, his finger very, they, his hand formed a number one. You don't, you have to actually make an effort to do that. That's not a natural position. I don't know whether he did or not. Robert, do you think I'm crazy? Is Spencer right or I'm an idiot? Or what, how did you read this situation? I didn't even know this was a thing. I think you're crazy. Like, mm. I'm a rare person who's coached an athlete properly and how to get disqualified for celebrating early. So I'm an expert on this matter. Once I had one of my best athletes disqualified for celebrating 50 meters before the finish line. I didn't even see this. I didn't uh, – I mean, I saw the race. It was a great stretch run back and forth in the final 100. And I thought, hey, Rob just knew that he was beat and put his hand up. I didn't see him celebrating. And I'm often worried people are celebrating early. I didn't even notice he celebrated. I thought he just was beat. I mean, he might not have been celebrating. I'm the only person who's held this opinion at this point. And someone was saying I was being disingenuous and just taking a screenshot. I'm like, they're like, did you watch the race? How do you think I got the screenshot, people? I watched (laughs) the race. I studied the video many times. To me, it wasn't obvious that he wasn't celebrating, but... The one weird thing, I have seen people when they're crossing the finish line like that, some of them have like thrown their arm up to kind of propel themselves forward. I just thought it was a little odd. It looks strange. Like whenever I would cross the finish line, whenever the sprinters do it, they kind of thrust their chest out and their arms are behind them. Now, not that I was involved in very many close finishes like this one, but, you know, I have been in a media 800 or two, which were designed, you know, settled by small margins. So I, I don't know. Maybe that's just the way that he leans for the line and his finger happened to come up and then it wasn't a big deal. And it just All I know is I saw number one. It was a very close finish. He got beat. I was like, oh, that's what it looked like to me. But the more I think about it, I'm maybe I'm just totally misinterpreting this. It just seemed like a kind of strange way for me to someone to lean their chest out across the line. I think he mistimed it as well, which kind of threw it, threw it off for me. John, I'm glad you brought this up. I saw the replay of this, and I was like, what the hell was he doing? He, like, thrust his hand up once he was behind. Like, it was over at that point. Maybe he's leaning. It's a weird way to lean, but he definitely put up a number one. I agree with you. I just thought it was bizarre. But he, it's hard to pretend he was celebrating because he was clearly beat at that point. I think. But didn't he also get a grin? I thought I saw a grin on his face well then, where he thought he might have had it. So, But here's the other thing. Marco Erop. Not exactly a boastful guy, you know? He's Canadian stereotype, super nice, pretty humble. He didn't strike me as the kind of guy who would do something like this, especially in a race where it's pretty close. So that threw me off, but it's nice nice to know that I'm not being gaslit and that someone actually may have seen the same thing I saw here. Maybe he was trying to celebrate the Canadian record, like a photo, which he didn't get. Well, he didn't get that either. 
one of my big takeaways from this meet on Saturday morning was, can we acknowledge like how great of a season Emmanuel Wonyani has had? Like he certainly looks like the future of the 800. Although it's going to be a rare year that we don't get a 142 so far. No one running in the 142s. But this guy just, he wins World Juniors in 2021, gets fourth in the Worlds in 19 in 2022, gets second this year, is the world leader. Every race this year was exceptional, first or second, I believe. Except, except, for, except Monaco for Monaco when he was under the weather. But yes. Yeah. So, like, I think that he would be my favorite for next year's world championships at this point. Olympics. I, I think I'm with you on that one, Robert. This guy, he checks all the boxes, won world juniors when he was, he had just turned 17 when he won it in 2021. I mean, if there was a world juniors this year, he could have run it. Uh, that's how young he is. Already got success on the big stage, fourth and second in global finals. Like he might just own the next, three years i wouldn't be shocked he's he's that good i think and i know what some of you are thinking age cheat but we can't call every young african person an age cheat because one thing that i think happened last week was the 20th anniversary of la kipchoge winning the 19 excuse me the 2003 world 5000 meter title beating al Garouj, beating bekele beating somebody else from kenya who was supposed to beat him as well and I, I said on the message board last week, I was like, I bet people watch. I was trying to find threads from 2003. I bet people saw Kipchoge with a gap between his teeth and kind of balding like Alan Webb was back in the day as a teenager, thinking this guy, there's no way he's 18. And yet 20 years later, this guy is absolutely still rocking it on the world stage. So if he was, if he was way older than 18 now, that means he's way older than 38. I mean, then... He's way over than 38 now. Well, I don't think he was 25. I wouldn't be shocked if he was 20 or 21 and if Kipchoge is actually 40 or 41 right now. That's from the rumblings around his camp and other people I've talked to. I think people do think that's the case. But your general point stands, Robert, that sometimes you do get humongous talents at a very young age. And when Yonyi, okay, I don't know how old exactly he was. He said they say he was 17 in 2004. Doesn't really matter at this point. He's already one of the best in the world and he's only improving. So I still think he could dominate the next couple of years, whether he's 19 or 22. All right. You watched the meet, John. I turned it on right before the men's 100. What'd you think of the crowd? It was hard to get a read on the crowd, honestly, Robert. You, as you mentioned, it's one of those stadiums where. They make the seats different colors to create the illusion of a crowd. And it was doing a great job with that illusion because I was watching it carefully. I'm like, wow, this is a big deal. It's like a $1.2 billion stadium, the Egret Stadium. It's amazing. It looked phenomenal on TV. It looked really cool lit up white against the backdrop. But I had no idea how many people were at this meet, Robert, because the stands are all different colors. You never got like close-up shots. It was impossible to tell. Okay, good. I wasn't the only one. I was just like, wait. Then I was looking at him. I don't think there's actually anybody there, but it doesn't seem dead because they, they did an amazing job of, of building it. And then I was like, what do they use this stadium for? Like, what are the sports in China? Like, do they have concerts there where 50,000 people show up? Soccer matches? Or could they possibly they, – they, I assume they just wouldn't build this in some city I've never heard of for track meet once every year. But 
I would love to know the use for it, but they did a beautiful job. It really is an amazing stadium. And the track, the Mondo surface, Tim Hutchings said it, hey, we've heard it's really fast. It certainly seemed to be really fast. Like I was surprised that these people fly over from Worlds. Coleman runs a world lead in the 100. Parchment runs 1294 or 96, whatever it was. Like some of these times were shocking to me in a little bit. And I was like, do you think that, I don't know, people said Eugene was the fastest track. Like would people fly over to to, to Shemin or whatever it's called and try to set world records in the sprints in the years to come? Or is it more important just to find a 2.0 tailwind somewhere? Well, we need a longer track record to prove this thing. I mean, we we do have tracks like this, like Le Chaux de Vaughan in uh, Switzerland. It used to be the Claremont track, too. You'd see some ridiculous times there. Like People know there are some tracks where you either get very helpful tailwinds or you know, it's a fast surface or something like that. I was also shocked. Kashane Thompson from Jamaica, who made a huge improvement. He went from 10.18 to 9.91. He only ran one round. It was 9.91 was at the Jamaican Championships. He only ran the first round. And he didn't run the semis or the final there. He runs one Monaco, Monaco Diamond League. He was only fifth. Then he goes to this meet, runs 9.85, almost runs down Coleman from lane 10. First time I've ever seen 10 lanes used in a 100 meters. So that was pretty crazy to me, the amount of young talent they've got. But also, like, well, Coleman, it's not like he ran all that great in the World Championship final. Like, what if we put Lyles in this race or Zonel Hughes or Tobogo? Would they be going 9-7? I mean, that was kind of interesting to me. But 10 lanes in a sprint race, I, I can't remember ever seeing that before. Yeah, do we know why this guy only ran the first round of the Jamaican Championships? Assuming he picked up some sort of injury, but usually you don't pick up an injury and get first in your heat. But, John, yes, the future of track and field was seen. A 10-lane track, and these lanes looked wide. And I think this track is super fast. I didn't see the full meet, but looking at the crowd, I think there was a big crowd on the finishing stretch. The back stretch looked a little thin, and everyone else looked thin, and they had those fake seats. So, I don't know. if the China, It's the future of our sport. The Chinese is sports washing, essentially. The Chinese will spend billions. We'll take millions of their money, put more and more events there. Wanda sponsors the Diamond League. I don't know, but this facility looked amazing. I mean, this was one of the conditions of Wanda taking on the sponsorship of the Diamond League about three years ago was he would get two meets in China. And this meet, for a very long time, had just been known as TBD or China 2. Uh and finally on a venue this year, Shenzhen, they changed it at the last minute to Xiamen. But yeah, I mean, I think you're kind of right here, Weldon. There are some established meets that just get fans every year, but if you can have a meet that is bankrolled and will fly everyone out and you can add it to the Diamond League circuit and they'll pay the prize money and they pay appearance fees and everything, I mean, most people in track and field will take that deal, even if it's coming from... China, which, you know, some some people have issues. I mean, it's not like I don't even know if I want to go there, but 
Yeah, try, I mean, look, the Diamond League sponsored by Wanda. Wanda is a Chinese company, and that's why they have these two meets there. They've made this deal. They're, they've made this agreement, and I, don't know, I thought it was... I don't know what the spectator numbers were, but I, I don't think the way this meet went, people are going to be dissuaded from going next year. I think there were some positives to come out of this. Yeah, it's like it's okay to buy our shoes from China, but we can't have our track meets there. And I'll say it. I'll say what Mark Cuban won't. Chinese are, is a repressive government. They treat people poorly there. I believe in freedom and democracy. There we go. I guess now I can't go to any of the Chinese Diamond League meets, but hey. Is it much different than Qatar? Probably a more repressive state, right? Anyways, I don't just want to repeat what I said in my 10-minute Supporters Club podcast, but I think the world needs to hear about this Laura Galvan woman. She was second in the 3,000. She ran 8.28, a national record. This year, she's 31 years of age. By the way, she ran at Kansas State. Last year of competition was... 2015, she was never an All-American at Kansas State. Her best result at Kansas State was her freshman year, 2012. She got like 48th in cross-country. Her PBs were 429 for 1,500, 456 for the mile, 938 for the 3,000, 1637 for 5,000. She was like fourth in the Big 12, 5,000 and 10,000 her last year. Eliminated in the West Regionals. 128th in NCAA cross country that year. She's now the Mexican national record holder all in one year at 1,500, 403, 3,828, 5,000, 1,443, which she ran in the heats of Worlds. And 1,459 in the final for 10th. And 3,104 in the 10,000. It's wild. Her improvement is crazy. There was a threat on her in 2019 when she was like significantly slower than she is now, but she had to run 411 and 1529. And people were like, can you believe this woman? How has she improved so much? What's her story? And now she's like a minute faster than that. And someone linked to her LinkedIn account after she graduated from Kansas State, she worked in quality assurance in the food industry. It's pretty like, uh, you know, I, I, kitchen product manager at Just Salad, quality assurance specialist at Georgia Nut Company, quality associate manager at the Skinny Dipped Almonds Company. Do, do we need to hear this whole story again? You've already said this one on the Supporters Club podcast. She dropped from 16 minutes to 14.30. It's amazing. John might have an explanation for this, but... I don't have an explanation, but I did enjoy that Robert says, I don't want to say exactly what I said on the podcast on over the weekend. And then he repeats exactly what he said at the podcast, listing her resume off of LinkedIn, which admittedly is a unique resume for a 1443 oh. woman. But I was wondering the same thing, because if you look at her progression on these databases, really there's a big jump in 2019 because she didn't, from college when she graduated in 2015 to 2019, there are zero results. She didn't compete at all in 2016, 17, or 18. 2019, she returns and suddenly she's running very well. You know, 1410 for 1500, 1527 for 5K, which is way faster than she was her last year at K State. And then she makes another jump in 2021 down to 408, 15 flat. Continues improving last year, 
404 and 1451. And now this year, 403, 828, 1443. So it's not like it's all come at once. She has like kept improving and improving. If you rewound this progression to, you know, ages 19 through 22, maybe it doesn't look that crazy. But with the massive gap and with her running D1 and not really doing anything there, it does look crazy. And I, I, look, I don't want to leap to conclusions because I don't know anything about her situation. I don't even know who, she, who coaches her or where she's based. So till we learn that, I'd like to withhold judgment, but there aren't many explanations. We haven't seen this sort of proje- look, trajectory in the past, right? Essentially right. This is one of the coolest stories ever or she's doping, right? I mean, like, there's not much in between these things, right? Like... I, I, people who are skeptical are going to be skeptical. I have no reason to say she's doping, but it's, it's like one or the other, right? That's sort of what we're hinting at. I wish that wasn't the nature of her sport, but if you saw this progression and didn't wonder, you're effing crazy. So I hope it's the latter. I believe in like the, the, the sub motto of this website sometimes is where your dreams become reality. At the same time, I've been burned by so many people in the sport. It's just like I I look at things with a sort of optimistic realism. Right. We've seen people like Nava Nordis, his progression is times. They're not typical either. Kira D'Amato. And you talk to them and they give you an explanation. And some people still don't believe it. But their explanation, at least Nordis, he wasn't really focused on the 1500. And he started focusing on it more. And he's been able to get more attention. Kira D'Amato, she was away. And then she's been able to stay healthy and start dropping her times. And this is a natural talent that finally gets the support she needed. Those are the explanations. You can believe them or not, but Laura Gavon might have the same, a similar type story and we just haven't discovered it yet. But there are some people who will never be convinced. Well, I know what some people are thinking. This is rich. Shelby Hulahan defender. John Galt questioning somebody for big improvement. The difference is Shelby Houlihan was one of the best runners in the NCAA before she improved a lot. After college, this woman was not. Now, maybe she was studying hard like Weldon Johnson. Weldon Johnson took a minute and a half off his 10K PRB at like age 27 after moving to altitude. And this gets me to another concept here. And if we're going to talk about distance running and improvement and how do you explain it, in my written recap, otherwise known as the week that was, I have a big section in there saying, do you guys know what happened on September 5th, 1987? That's 36 years ago today, Robert. I don't know if you realize that, but today is the anniversary of that. I did not know that. I'm actually, I just pulled up my column. It's in my column. So I guess you added that fact in there, John. Amazing fact, by the way. God, Again, God meant me to write this paragraph. What are the odds of that? Published it today. I didn't even know it. 36 years ago today, there was an Italian man named Francesco Panetta. He won the men's steeplechase gold at home in the Rome World Championships, second World Championships. At the time, there was nothing unusual about a European man winning a distance gold. The first world's in Helsinki. A European distance man won all four distance golds, 1,500 on up, 15 steeple, 5 and 10. And in Rome, they won two. But after this win in the steeplechase, an African-born man, Abdebili, won the 1,500. Seda won the 5,000. And then in 91, African-born men won all four. Repeat, 
93, 95, 97. 64 world championships in a row. A man born in Africa towed the starting line in a distance final at Worlds and won the gold. That streak did not end until Jakob Ingebrigtsen arrived on the scene. Although it wasn't Ingebrigtsen that broke the streak. It was actually Jake Whiteman last year. He wins it in the 1500. Ingebrigtsen wins the 5000. And we basically had the same thing this year except put in curve for Whiteman. So 64 in a row for men born from Africa. Now they've lost two of the last, excuse me, four of the last eight. Like what, Chris Greer and I were talking about this on vacation, but like what explains the decline of the African dominance? Is it Ingebrigtsen just a complete freak? Is it better drug testing? Is it all the money's on the roads? John Kellogg's theory is all the Western runners are finally training at altitude, which is what they need to do. I don't know, but this was my explanation. Like I came up with this about why people are obsessed with Ingebrigtsen. I'm sure some people are going to make it a racial thing. That's fine. But to me, it's like, no, most people that come to let's run are male. Most of them are distance runners and they weren't born in Africa. They've been craving to have someone they can really relate to and understand give them hope that if they train hard enough, they could do it. And it just seemed like it was never going to happen. And then there's this boy wonder who we hear about, like who would break this streak? You'd think, okay, it's somebody with sick talent. Who's like starts training at an early age, goes all in, does everything right and wins it. It would be Ingebrigtsen, the youngest to break four at 16 and 17. He's running 331 and then 330. And then he wins the Olympic gold. Like this would be the person that did it. And he did do it. So I just think that like there's a reason why we're obsessed with this guy because it represents a paradigm shift in the sport. It was if you're not born in Africa, you've got no shot. Now all of a sudden, you've got a real shot. Like look at the 1500; it's just is dominated by 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 not by people not born in Africa. Yeah, the 1500 in the World Championships the last two years on the men's side, five of the six medalists not born in Africa. Um, that's Three Norway, two Great Britain, and then one is the Moroccan-born Spaniard Mokatia. The 5K, I mean, the 5 it's interesting because these are two kind of different events, Robert. The 5K, you look at the medalists, it's still really dominated by African-born runners. It's just that Ingebrigtsen's winning. Whereas the 1500, you've got a lot of the top guys no longer African-born. And looking at the list of winners, you know, I'll just read off the champions of the world before Jake Whiteman and Josh Carr in the men's 1500. Timothy Chariot, never sanctioned or anything. Elijah Manningoy, whereabouts violation, suspended. Asbel Kiprop, Asbel Kiprop, Asbel Kiprop, banned for EPO. Yusuf Saad Kamel of Bahrain. I mean, I don't really remember him doing anything after that, but I don't know enough. I'm not, just, I'll just say his name there. But I'll got Rashid Ramsey, one of the most notorious dopers of the 2000s. And then the four before that, Isham el Rouge, the three before that, Nouradine Morsley. I think you have to assume, you, I would say one of the reasons is improved drug testing in Africa, uh, specifically Kenya. They're catching more people. They're sanctioning people for whereabouts violations. That has to be a significant part of this. And 
is that unfair to say that it's not as if there's no British athletes doping, but I feel like there is a more level playing field now than there might've been in the nineties or mid two thousands. Yeah. We don't know who was doping. I mean, I asked John. Well, we do know some of them. I mean, well, I know. a number of those well, athletes John... have been banned for doping. Well, I know. But when I look at that 1500 list and I did it over the weekend, I was like, my God, the number of gold medals won by people that I think never did drugs. I could count on one hand. That's all I'll say. I don't want to be sued. So I'll just say one hand. But then I guess somebody could sue me by saying, well, I won. Anyways. Um, so it's just an interesting thing to talk about. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with you because I was talking to John Kellogg about this. Like what could explain it? He's like, but if we go to the marathon, like it's not like we think that there's a lot of people not born in Africa that can run faster than like 206, 205. They're not even close to being competitive. But for some reason right now in the 1500, we are. And in the championship 5,000, I guess the 1500 works well there. So it's just an interesting thing that I pointed out. And we'll see what happens in the years to come, you know? And, and I think that it's just cool to see people defy the stereotypes. Like the American women all of a sudden are powerhouse people in the throws and Warholm's great in the hurdles. And, you know, you can go on and on. I think one of the other things to point out here, Robert, is we've also had a string of athletes where there's just been one superpower in the men's 1500 or in some of these other events. Like, the men's 1500, Morsali of Algeria wins three straight. El Garouj of Morocco wins four straight. Kiprop of Kenya wins three straight. Men's 5,000. Mo Farah wins three straight. Edris wins two straight. Uh, the three, the 10K right now, Joshua Cheptegei of Uganda wins three straight. It's not all the same country here, but sometimes you just get a superstar, or like Bekele and, El- and Gebre Selassie from Ethiopia. Now, a lot of the times the superstar is from africa but it can be easier for one country to kind of dominate when you have a generational talent in that event and i think we have that now in the 5000 it's just that guy happened to be born in norway we kind of have it in the 1500 except he has only won one olympic title you also conveniently left the olympics out from your assessment which Fermin Cacho of spain won in 1992 and then of course centrowitz won in 2016 from the united states so I know it's not the same as a world championship, but for, for the in- intents of this analysis, it basically is. Fair enough. But there's a lot of questions I know that people have about Cacho's record in the past and Centrowitz's coaches banned from the sport. All right, Robert. Yes, Salazar is banned, but I don't think, I don't think Centro was doping. I don't think you do either. So I, unless you're making that ex- accusation, I think that's a disingenuous point. Salazar is banned, John. Just... He's barely banned, I'll say that much. We got an anniversary here coming up. Oh my god, it's less than a month away. And he, well, he's banned for life by Safe Sport, which is a less harsh penalty. But yeah, we're almost on a four year expiration of Salazar's banned by the AAU or by USADA. Am I a bad person if I say as a website operator I would love to see Salazar come back in the sport and coach? Yes. After Man. what he was accused of doing to Kara Goucher? Yes. 
what he was accused of doing. I, I, I guess. I don't know. It's not a, he wasn't criminally found of anything. Safe sports separate. He's allowed to coach. I don't know. I don't like, I mean, okay. he wasn't criminally found of him because it was an interaction between two people and Cara didn't reveal it until years later. She didn't go to the police about this thing. Fair enough. And obviously I have no reason to doubt her or anything, but I generally don't like opaque justice systems that don't involve minors. So I think safe sports should still be reformed. I don't think safe sports should be the avenue should exist for essentially non-minors or someone out of above the age of college. But we're nearly 40 minutes into this podcast. A 19-year-old American has run 157 and we haven't even mentioned it. Actually, this may be related to what we're talking about. It is related. Times that some people are suspect of, but... 19-year-old American Addie Wiley, who was a phenomenal talent, was most known for running 403 at 1500 this year, which would be, well, it's not a junior American record because she turns 20, but it's the fastest any Americans ever run at that age. She goes to Italy and drops a 157... 64. Almost beaten the Toya goal. It wasn't in Italy, it was in Switzerland, Bellinzona, but... Yeah, I, I don't understand this result. I know Annie Wiley's really good, Weldon. She was fifth in the U.S. in the 1500 this year. But that was back in July. I kind of was like, all right, she's going back to college. She's probably getting ready for the NAI, so NAIA cross-country season or something like that. I don't know. No, she ran 159 flat in Memphis on August 4th, and then she goes across to Switzerland, 157.64. Now, now I'm thinking, might she be... a 800 runner? That's a better time than 403. 150. She ran that time at USA. She's going to get fifth in the final or faster. It's just, I mean, it's pretty amazing. We already knew there was a, she was a huge talent, but I didn't think we knew she was this good at the 800 meters. I mean, this is crazy, John. It's way better than 403. I'm, I'm trying to pull up the scoring tables here, but she's a PB faster than Nia Akins. And Nia Akins is the dark horse medal candidate. She's now the 11th fastest American of all time. Uh, like you don't get much faster than 157 and you're not considered a metal threat in the 800 meters. I mean, the time she's running on the track are absolutely phenomenal. There's no denying that at her age, especially. Correct. She ran 0.07 faster than what Laura Muir won the 800 in the diamond league last week. And her PBs are about to get a lot faster. I just got a text. And it's been confirmed. I just went to the start list. Agent is trying to get her to sign with them. He's gotten Addie Wiley into the Brussels Diamond League 1500 this weekend. This person's like, she's going to run 356 or 357. I immediately started thinking, could she possibly break the American record? No, well, come not. on, Robert. She's no, not going to run 354. I said, I guess not. But that's just what popped in my head. I think she's certainly going to run under four. And I'm just telling you, th th but this story to me is hard, is a hard one to get excited about because it just doesn't make any sense that someone this talented is at Huntington University. And I know she said last year, like, look, these people got me to fourth in the world juniors. Like, why do I need to go anywhere else? And I like that aspect. It's true. I've always thought a good coach can coach anybody if they have the talent, but. There's so many allegations around Nick Johnson and whatever that I don't really want to get into. 
it just makes it hard to celebrate. I really hope that she removes herself from the current people that have brought her to this level and, and follows up on what she said last year. Like, yes, other people can coach you to this times. If you're that talented, let them do it. Break free, do it on your own. It's just a little bit sad in the sense too. Like I was so excited about watching Ingebrigtsen and Hobbs Kessler, by the way, he raced last weekend and it's just not quite the same. Hopefully new environment next year, sign a pro contract, and then I can be all in and supportive. All right, guys, before we transition to anything else, want to hop in, got some breaking news here. Robert, you may want to get ready to take your victory lap here. It's a press release from the Prefontaine Classic. They've announced two athletes are confirmed for the 100 meters. One of them is Sha'Carri Richardson, the world champion. The other one, Noah Lyles, also the world champion. He's been confirmed. He's running the Diamond League final next weekend at Eugene. The first lines of the press release, I wasn't going to do it. And then I read Robert Johnson's editorial on Let's Run.com. And I said, Robert knows what's best for my career. I'm going to Eugene, baby. Okay, he didn't actually say that, but this is good news. Noah Lyles is running the Diamond League final next weekend. One of the biggest track stars in the U.S. will be at one of the biggest track meets in the U.S. Wait, what, what, what? He announced last week his season was over, and we wrote an editorial criticizing him, and Robert said, I'm going to try to change his opinion, but, like, was there any social media pressure or what? Like, I'm actually shocked by this. I'm not giving Robert credit for this, but John, how did this happen? Like, what's going there on? There was social media pressure. Robert tagged him from the Let's Run.com account saying, come run the Diamond League final. Now, I do find this whole thing a little hypocritical because Robert is telling Noah Lyles to go run the Diamond League final. It's one of the biggest meets in the United States. It's in the U.S. for the first time ever. Yet Robert himself is not attending this meet. But what I don't, I don't know if... It, <laughs> I highly doubt Robert's editorial had anything to do with Noah's decision-making, but it's a great for the sport that he's going to be in, Eugene. John, in all fairness, the journalists are somewhat replaceable. Noah Lyles is a little more not replaceable. But I'm sure, I'm sure readers would say that about you as well, John. Robert and I, you know, we could – they don't care if we're there or not. Well, what a victory lap I need to be taking. I mean, one of the most popular threads – I was ridiculed on last week. Noah Lyles just announced he's skipping the Diamond League final. I'm trying to convince him to change his mind. I did tweet at him. I said, Noah, there's nothing stopping you from going to, on Good Morning America and Fashion Week while tapering down for the Diamond League final. This is a big deal. Let's do it. Then he put up a, a tweet a few days later. He's like, maybe I've got one more 100 in him. And now he's going. I don't know if I had anything to do with it. I'm thrilled that he's doing it. And I think it's great for the sport. This could have been a brilliant job by Noah. Like, someone's like, he's just not getting the appearance fee that he wants for Nike for, for the Prefontaine Classic. They probably don't want to pay this guy what he's worth. He's going to hold out, and now he's getting it. So, well done, Noah. You deserve the money if you got more money. I'm glad you're doing it. Maybe my pressure worked. I don't know. But this is the perfect segue because I want to talk about Noah. I've written extensively about him. Look, in April when he lost to a high school in the 100 meters, the odds that he would be the 100-meter champion looked very remote. In July, when was USA? It's June or July, John? July 6th. Sorry, the race was on July 7th. In July, when he was third at USA, it looked very remote that he would be the 100-meter champion. 
Then all of a sudden we got to Worlds and he's a 100-meter champion. Now it looks very remote. Anybody who said that he's never going to win Olympic gold in his career looks like a fool. And, and that person ended up being – the odds that that person ends up being correct don't look very good for me. Let's be honest. It does look like Noah Lyles, if you're right now predicting golds for next year, he'll probably win one. He's certainly the favorite in the 200. The 100 is still wide open to me. There's a lot of good young Jamaicans. I'm not discounting Fred Curley either, but there's a ton of good Jamaicans. God, they could just go one through six. It's possible. But I'm not backing down. I published a piece and I just said, like, the reason why I said Noah Lyles, I didn't say he's never going to win a gold medal because I didn't think he was a good runner. I just thought, like, he missed his window of opportunity. He would have won in 2020. COVID canceled it. He was depressed. He got antidepressants, et cetera. He wasn't in the same form in 2021. And then time passes you by. It's very similar to me about what happened in the men's 1500. Timothy Chariot, right? We all agree. Would have won in 2020. But he didn't. And then there's a young phenom coming up behind him. And now that young female, Jakob Binger-Brenson, is there to, to take over the event. The same thing is true in the 200. Like, Arian Knighton is this guy that's younger, faster at a younger age. And despite what happened this year at Worlds, nothing changes the fact that Arian Knighton is still there. And I said in this article, like, go back to 2007. There was a young, lanky 200-meter specialist with a 10.03 100-meter PB who just gotten silver in the 200 at Worlds. Nobody was saying he's going to become an Olympic legend next year. He's going to win everything. He's going to be the greatest sprinter of all time. But that's what happened to his same bolt. Ari Knighton is a 200-meter specialist with a 10.04 PB, 100-meter PB. Just got second at Worlds. Like, tall and lanky. It, it's the exact same thing. Admittedly, he's a year younger than Bolt, so it makes me nervous that he may not break through next year. Maybe it's 2025 when he breaks through and gets on top of the event. But there also was this kind of a stagnation period for Bolt between 2004 and 2007. Knighton's kind of had that the last year or so. What do you think of my analogy, guys? I kind of like the analogy. And you know our rule here. I don't like Bolt comparisons, but when you're Arian Knighton, the Bolt comparison is actually apt, at least what they've done at the younger level. I mean, Usain Bolt was one of the greatest phenoms in the history of track and field. He won World Juniors when he was 15. Arian Knighton was fourth at the Olympics when he was 17 and ran 19.49 at 18. So they're, you know, similar talent levels. And yeah, I don't think your comparison's totally crazy, but you're basically, you're asking, you're relying on Knighton making the same sort of leap in 2024 that Usain Bolt did in 2008. And very few people in the history of our sport have made a leap that high and to that level even as a phenom like Bolt. It, it's just, from to say, oh, he's going to replicate that, I don't think so. There's maybe, like, maybe there's a 20% chance he does that, but I think, I don't, you know, odds are against it, even though we are talking about a monster talent here. The other thing is, there are two things, though. One, I think Knighton did a good job this year It's something he didn't do last year. He got his best race out of himself in the World Championship final. He ran a little slower than he did in Eugene, but last year he ran a lot slower than he did in season opening. He ran 1949, never ran faster. This year, he managed the season better. Second in Budapest. Second in Zurich. He wasn't you know that far off Noah Lyles in the Zurich Diamond League. Like He's running his best 
later in the season, which is a good sign for Arian Knighton. You also pointed out, okay, the gap closed. You said Knighton closed the gap. And I was like, no, no, no. Knighton didn't close all of the gap. Knighton ran five hundredths faster in the final this year. Some of the gap was closed by Noah Lyles running the 100, and he was more tired for the 200 final. That's why he only ran 19.52 as opposed to 19.31. So Noah will have the 100-200 double next year, and Arian will not have the 100 most likely, unless he goes full bolt and starts running the 100 as well. So that is an area, you know, if, if Noah Lyles is a little tied out from the 100 rounds, and he's, what, only running 19.4 or 19.5, I think that could be a range. We've seen Knighton run 19-4. You could see him get to that level. But, yeah, I'm, I'm still going Noah. Yeah, the gap that I, John's referring to is in 2022, Knighton lost to Lyles by 0.49 at Worlds. This year he lost to him by 0.23, so he improved by 0.26. With the gap narrowed by 0.26, if it, if it narrows another 0.26, he's ahead next year. So I, I am, to be honest uh, – a few things worry about me. One is the age is a little bit younger Two, Also, while he's tall and lanky, he's not as tall as Usain Bolt. Like according to Wikipedia, like Bolt's six, six, he's six, three. So I can see why it would take Bolt a little bit longer to get the coordination and everything down. All right. Weldon was mad earlier that we hadn't, we've been talking for a long time. Hadn't gotten to Eddie Wiley. Hell we've been talking for we soon approaching the hour mark and haven't talked about, Yurinagu is taking down the world champion in Zurich last weekend. One of the greatest. Nagus, despite the hiccups at the world championship and no medal, is having one of the greatest distance. Well, he's having the greatest 1500 Diamond League season ever for an American. And let's be honest, even without the medal, one of the greatest 1500 meter seasons for an American period. He won in Zurich. We haven't talked about it, but I guess that's okay because we have a voicemail saying, hey, nobody remembers Zurich at the end of the year anyways. For the record, we had a full podcast on this, but it was for supporters club members. Guys, you're missing out. You're not a supporters club member. But here's the voicemail from the fake Josh Kerr. Hi boys, it's a fake Josh Kerr here. Not only supporters club member, fake Josh Kerr, but also world champion, fake Josh Kerr. I just listened to the podcast. Jakob was 88% before the end of the race. You know what I was? 100%. 100% a world champion. You know what Jakob should do? If you're not feeling well, like we all used to do. Dear Mr. Cole, Jakob is not feeling very well today. Could you please excuse him from period five and the 1500 meter final? Thank you. Mrs. Ingebrigtsen, come on. You tore the line. You won't hear the fake Josh Kerr cranking up the excuse machine if he loses a race. And on to the Diamond League. I said it before when I called a while ago. There's only three people remember who won any Diamond League event. The winner, their mum, and Jonathan Galt. So congratulations, Mrs. Nagus. <clears throat> oh. Got a wee choke there. All right, boys. Well, I've got to go. I want to talk to you soon. Maybe we'll see you in Eugene. Hey, cheers, boys. Fake Josh Kerr always delivers. It's funny. I was listening to that. The signal line, fantastic. But he was saying, there's only three people who know who won Diamond League races. I'm like, 
well, wait a minute. I know who wins Diamond Leagues. Then, of course, you mentioned me among them. So thank you, Fake Josh Carr. Another terrific contribution. If you are, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where this Fake Josh Carr lives or where he's from. I've always complimented the Scottish accent because if it's fake, it's truly fantastic. But if you are in Eugene and you have a way of contacting me, I will buy you a beer. So let me know. I think we're overthinking this. Fake Josh Kerr is the real Josh Kerr. Then he can talk shit without getting criticized for it. Well, speaking of trash talk, Robert, I got an email this morning from a Norwegian journalist. He said his name's Henrik. He's from VG, which is the biggest Norway newspaper. He was talking about, oh, what do you think about the rivalry between Nordas and Ingebrigtsen and Josh Kerr and Jake Whiteman? Is it good for the sport? And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, Hell yeah, it's good for the sport. You know, Jake, Josh, sorry, Jakob was comments after the 5K final calling him just another guy, calling Josh Kerr just another guy, the next, sorry, just the next guy. Was that disrespectful? Yeah, it was disrespectful, but it's also entertaining as hell. It makes the sport more interesting when the top guys are sniping at each other with some drama. I mean, look at the NBA. People live for that stuff. They freak out on Twitter when anyone, Kevin Durant, drops some passive address, aggressive tweet. Any sort of trash talk in these events or if someone's disrespecting someone else, it's interesting. It's good for the sport. So Josh Coe was asked about it. He was like, look, I found it disrespectful, but it doesn't really bother me. I'm the world champion. You can't change that. I totally respect that. But I don't mind Jakob speaking his mind. He, not everyone's going to agree with him, but it's much more interesting for the sport that way. Sure is. Related to this, we have another voicemail on the 1500 5K, Josh Kerr, Jakob Drama. What's up, guys? I've got a take from Worlds this year. I think Jakob winning the 5K was bad for his image after, you know, pretending to be sick, downplaying Josh Kerr, kicking him down the last 100 of the 15, and then coming back and winning the 5K makes him look even softer for, you know, downplaying that whole win by Jakob People think I have bad takes. My God, like, I don't understand this. This whole thing, part of it is media made up, but what do they want Jakob mentioned to do? Well, first of all, we're talking about disrespectful. Josh Kerr's podcast, putting out memes, mocking Jakob Ingebrigtsen, that's also disrespectful, but just because it's the podcast and the user submitted, Josh gets away with that. Maybe it was his partner that did it, but they didn't have him pull it down. So that's disrespectful too, but... What do you want Jakob to do? Like the media, all they did was ask him, are you super excited to have a rematch with Josh Kerr? Is he your rival? Well, he lost to Whiteman last year. In Jakob's mind, he's like, no, I'm the best. I was sick. I just want to get back and kick everybody's ass, including Josh Kerr. I don't really care about Josh Kerr. He's just the next guy. Like, But then he said, if I wasn't there, he probably would have won. So he is saying like he's better than other guys, but not much. He's being honest of what he thinks the case is and saying people just want him to lie and not say that. And then the same thing about the illness. Like he came off the track and said, all the credit to Josh, he ran a good race, but I'm feeling snake bit. I got just like rolled indoors last year. I, I felt a little under the weather. Now you can say he's making that up, but 
we were saying the same thing. People were questioning Noah Lyles after 100 meters of USA's. He clearly wasn't making that up. And if he's not making that up, if he's actually sick, it's all the more baller that he can recover between the 1500 finals and the 5,000 miles and kick those guys ass. So I get what this person's saying, but no, this guy's a competitive person. He's not going to purposely lose the worlds. All right. All right, Robert, off your knees for a second. That, but for Jakob, look, if he truly was sick, you can't win, right? He comes out and says, if he was sick and he says he was sick, people are like, Oh, you know, he's complaining. He's got an excuse, always excuses. And if he wasn't sick, people are going to be like, well, what the hell went wrong? Something must have, there must have been some issue. I guess someone would have assumed, oh, we can't win a tactical race. But, you know, I look at that. I'm like, Jakob was better than he was last year and he still got beaten basically the same manner. Like, what went wrong? And I, I appreciate him saying he was sick. I do think he was sick, but people would say, oh, why was he showboating in the semis? He still got the silver and then he won the world title in the 5K. That doesn't really look like someone who's sick to me. It was a guy who had one off race, a little bit off. My argument to that would be, look how he just kicked everyone's ass in the 5K last year in Eugene. This year, he did not run that way. He ran a different style of race. And we know he's fitter than he was in 2022 because of his times on the circuit, his two-mile world record, 7.54. To me, if Jakob was 100% in that final, he goes out and what he did, it's exactly set up for him to do what he did in Eugene last year, which is take off with 1K to go and crush everyone. He very deliberately did not do that. He left it very, very late. So that, to me, I actually do think he was sick. And I thank him for saying that, but I can understand there are some things, like he ran really, really well. He was still better than almost... Not, you know, 99.9% .9 of distance runners in the world at this meet. So I understand why people are like, well, if he was sick, why did he run so well? I mean, because he's still really, really good. All right, so back to Zurich. Yarny Goose wins here over Josh Kerr. If you want the full breakdown to join the supporters club, listen, I talked to both of those guys in Zurich after the race. It was really fun, but essentially Kerr, I think, Kerr went for it. He was trying to break the British record, and then he left lane one open at the end and came back to bite him because Nagus waited very, very late, but he made the pass. Was a really exciting finish. Reminded me of some of his college days at Notre Dame. The other big story from this one, for an American fan, there's been a lot of bad news for Grant Fisher over the last 12 months. This was good news for Grant Fisher. He came back and he showed why Everyone's so high on Grant Fisher. He runs 12.54. He beat some absolute studs in this race. Now, Kajelcha ran away with it at 12.46, but his, Fisher was kicking with Selman Borrega, who was the bronze medalist in the 10K, and Luis Grijalva, who was fourth in the 5K. And those two were 12 seconds up on fifth place. Woody Kincaid was in this race, DNF. Lamechikoma. The steeplechase world record holder was in here, 5K debut. He DNF'd. But this is why we're so optimistic about Grant Fisher when he does run, because he's competitive for the win, or maybe not for the win, but for top three in these Diamond Leagues in a way that most Americans aren't. Last year, he went on the European circuit, was getting top three consistently. Woody Kincaid, Joe Klecker, they haven't done that in the global finals they've been in. They haven't done that in the Diamond Leagues they've been in for the large part. So... I think, would, I think Grant just has a ceiling. Those other two don't. 
And this was crazy. He did this essentially off of three weeks of workouts and a, sh a lot of cross training since he got injured and had to scratch the 5K USAs. He was like, this was basically best case scenario for me to be able to run that fast. But now he thinks he's on the upswing. It's been a long season for a lot of people, but he's getting better and maybe some other people are trying to hang on. The Diamond League finals in the middle of September. Would it shock you if he's contending for the win there with no Ingebrigtsen? Absolutely. It would just shock me. Like I, I feel like sometimes you can fake your fitness and you can get a, a, a decent level, but he's not going to be able to kick for the win with these guys. Well, he's never been able to kick for the win you know, with these guys in the first place, but missing all that fitness, it just doesn't make sense that he's going to be even better than he was in this race. I want him in the Diamond League final. It's his home damn track. And you think I was criticizing Noah Lyles for possibly skipping out on that? Man, I'll rip the hell out of this kid if he doesn't show up. I think he'll run. I think he'll run. While we're talking, Grant Fisher, there's an interesting thread on the message board called Jerry Schumacher is a terrible NCA coach. And as the Jerry official Jerry Schumacher defender on let's run.com, this thread's fascinating. Apparently, Connor Burns was on some sort of podcast and he says, I think people might be interested to know what Jerry's instructions were to were. His only instructions this summer were to run this summer. And then he laughs about it, almost mocking his coach. So this Burns kid seems like a little bit of a piece of work. So good luck coaching him, Jerry. But this reminded me of like just the difference in talent level that the top schools get and everybody else. Like when I was coaching, I viewed this summer as the absolute like guys, this is when we can beat all the guys to go to Harvard and Princeton and ran 850 in high school. We're going to bust our ass and we're going to run 100 miles a week by the end of the summer. And you're just going to run more than everybody else. You're going to be training 20% more than them. And we're going to do it on grit, grit and work. And what I realized was the super talented kids, and John Keller used to always tell this John, Arkansas story, like John McDonald, you know, the Arkansas guys would be competing NCAs in, in, in June, maybe go to Europe for a week or two, take a week or two off. They wouldn't, they just like start jogging again in August. Like they barely had a summer base. And then they, they would just race themselves into shape. So it's like almost unfair, just run. You know, if you run 354 in high school, you can just barely train in the summer and be fine. So. I think for someone as talented as Connor Burns, maybe going into freshman year, maybe the best strategy is not to overcomplicate it. I mean, Connor Burns was racing Europe until June or July. He's good. Whatever he's doing, he's got a, he's not an idiot. His dad is a, was a successful college coach. I think Jerry's just sounds like he's telling him don't overthink it, which I think is perfectly fine for a super talented freshman. And then when he gets into Eugene, he'll be like, all right, here's our system. But he's not going to rush anyone into it, especially when he's not supervising their day to die, day to day. All right. Two questions for you guys. Burns or beer bomb? I don't know what the, what question you're asking. What, what is, what I think specifically are you saying? I don't know. Who do you think is going to be a star? I'm, I'm picking Birnbaum without a doubt. I mean, Bin, I well, Birnbaum, but they're both very good. But yeah, I would go with Birnbaum, who was much better last season. A, he's much better. B, he's from like what, South Dakota or North Dakota? He's not from, his dad is not a top college distance coach. Like this kid's probably, the raw talent is much higher. So that, that's what I'm thinking. But here's my other scenario. You have the option. Well, you have to actually do one of the following two things. And I come to you, John, I say, for the rest of your life, you're going to live. You can either be 
Well, not for the rest of your life. It's just athletic. It's only. Do you want to be Aaron Knighton for the rest of your career? You can have no lives for the rest of your career. Take it or leave it right now. Which one do you take? Do I get all of Noah Lyle's previous accomplishments too? No, you have zero dollar. It's not a money thing. You just no. I'm saying, do I do I get his three world title, four world titles that he's already banked? Moving forward, maybe that's a better way to say it. Who's going to accomplish more moving forward? Oh no, everything in the past is is wiped out. It never occurred. Harry Knighton's still only 19 years old. I think I take Knighton. The ce- the ceiling's higher, but if you're saying. I get everything like Noah Lyles has already done. No, no. Moving forward. I take that. Michael Johnson, you are you listening? Who would you take moving forward? Now my take's not so stupid, is it? But like, here's the thing. Who has a better chance of winning the 100 and 200 of the Olympics, which is all-time legend shit? It's Noah Lyles. So if he does that next year in Paris, essentially you bank, Knighton would have to get like a world record to be in the conversation for surpassing that. And Lyles absolutely could do that next year. So it's not an easy question, but yeah, I think I'm going Knighton. What do you say, Weldon? This is a crazy conversation, but shows Robert's point. So wait, wait, we're going to go with a guy who hasn't won anything, but without Lyles there blocking him, Aaron Knighton's your 200 meter world champion right now at the age of 19. I mean, this is nuts because Lyles now could just be like, he himself could be absolute mega legend. 2024 Olympic 100 meter, 200 meter star. I mean, that's a real possibility. <laughs> and we're all also still wondering, like, would I rather be Aaron Knight than him going forward? Would you rather be a guy who ran 19.49 at the age of 18? The fourth fastest person in history. At 18 years old. I mean, now he's the fifth fastest because Lyle surpassed him. But yeah, I mean, Noah Knighton could own the second half of the 2020s in the way that Lyle's has owned the last four or five years. So if you don't count what Lyle's has already accomplished, which is a great deal, then I can see the argument for taking Knighton. But also, Lyle's could just end this conversation by winning the, the double next year at the Olympics. And or getting the world record. Yeah. What is it? Bird in hand is better than two in the bush. But but nothing's in hand, really. But for next year, Lyles, it's all about next year, right? It certainly is. And if it was 2025, I'd easily say Knighton. But next year, that's pretty soon. All right, guys, I got to go. Wait, Robert has to go, and we haven't even talked about the thing where he insisted we give a black page. We didn't give a single black page during the World Championships this year. Josh Kerr, I'm sorry. You deserved a black page. And we got in a big page. argument over this. There are people on the Let's Run staff who are like, why would Josh Kerr go to black page? I'm just like, did you watch the race? It was freaking awesome. It totally ruled. And this, um, Can I reveal it was Steve Soprano who was saying, oh, we only reserve it for American accomplishments in America winning a global title or American record or something or a world record. I mean, to me, it's like a black page isn't something you just go by strict criteria. You feel it in your loins. That race was calling out to me. It was one of the races of the year. It was awesome. We talked about it for months and then Josh Kerr pulls the upset. That's a black page in my opinion. I don't need the metrics to tell me what 
No, that's a black page. I think I agree with you, John. The reason we have, we didn't do any black pages for worlds is a we're up to like four a.m. We're too tired to do it at our old age. B, I, I didn't want to, have to justify to people like, why are you doing it for a men's race and not Faith Kip Yagon's double gold? You racist person, or I just didn't want to have to pick why a certain event was better than the other when obviously the fifteen hundred was the one everyone was into. But we did. I did give a black page to UTMB winners Jim Walmsley and Courtney DeWalter. Just because Steel Town Runner texted me and said it was a big deal. I like it. It's cool how Jim's moved to France to go all in on this. Interesting, you know, and to win this thing that he's never won before. But American had never won the men's race before. But American got second. So even if Jim wasn't there, we would have won. And we all agree. This is the question we always say. You know, if Kipchoge had, was in peak form and ran that race last week, would he win or lose? We all said that he would lose because it's a totally different event than running a marathon. So... Props out to Jim. Yeah, we got a message from Steel Town Runner saying, like, essentially wondering why we don't give more coverage to these sort of ultra events. He said, do these races really not interest you folks? I mean, in general, no. Ultra races don't really. They're really, really long. There's a huge gap between the athletes. I mean, yes, there is drama, but... I just don't have a day to f dedicate to following or 12 hours to dedicate to following these long events. Now, the highlight package he sent us of UTMB was awesome. It was like a five-minute recap. That was really cool. And But that's also UTMB is sort of one of the best races. It's probably the best ultra mountain race every year, right? And the coverage is set up in a way. It's really incredible what they do with the cameras and the commentary and everything getting the clips of this race. That's phenomenal. But no, in general, it's just, I like being able to kind of watch events play out in front of me and kind of know who's in shape and build narratives. I guess you can do that with ultras as well, but I know track, track and field and the marathon is much, it's just more interesting to me. It excites me more than watching these ultra things. And I don't know if there's a way to phrase it other than that. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, then. I don't want to discredit what Jim did because again, I get the, I get why UTMB is a big deal. This was an epic race. Moving to France for like a year and a half, just specifically to win this race, is crazy. That's an insane level of dedication. And between that and his wins at Western States, his course record there, it's pretty phenomenal. We had we had a triple crown of ultras back when we did our exploration of the ultra marathons in 2019, and those were two of the three. The other one was Comrades, which know that Jim wanted to win a few years ago. I assume that's still on his list. So to win two of the three, pretty epic. And what Courtney DeWalt has done, I mean, she's won like 300 mile ultras this summer, which that in itself, that's like winning. I don't know what the marathon analogy that would be, but it'd be like winning three big time marathons in maybe six months or something like that. So she's been pretty phenomenal this year as well. Yeah. Do these race interest me? I'm glad, to be honest, not that much. I'm glad Jim won it. I was sort of wondering, like, recently, I'm like, oh, I guess he's done. Like, because I knew he tried to win this thing a couple of times. I hadn't heard anything great from him. There was, like, a lot of buzz on him in Let's Run when he was winning, you know, setting the course record at Western State, saying he wanted to win UTMB. And I think he did a good job of sort of telling that story in Let's Run. And I think more traditional marathon track fans got into his story. And so it's like, okay, he needs to do UTMB. Now, comrades and comrades. 
It's not, there's not an extra syllable at the end. I think it's really cool. He did this. The camera stuff is amazing. Is that a drone running behind him or someone runs behind him with a camera? I don't know. I would guess at his speeds, you probably can have someone running behind them, but here's the other thing about track and field as compared to ultra marathons. Almost every event in track and field, I can see how that athlete is just so clearly superior to me physically. That's sort of what we watch in the NBA or football or soccer. You can see the speed firsthand. You can see the skills that make these people the most phenomenal athletes on earth. And it's not that ultra runners don't have their own skills. The endurance is crazy, but a lot of the clips is, you know, some of them time it's them scaling this epic terrain, but you know, a lot of the clips in that highlight is them running at a fairly slow pace. And I look, I understand, I'm not saying it's easy. I understand everything that goes into it, but it's not immediately apparent as it is in the way someone running the hundred meter dash or something like that at the world championships or someone kicking down in a 52 at the end of a, you know, 5,000 meter race. You know what I'm saying? hundred percent. And let's not kid ourselves. The ultra running thing, it's not nearly as competitive or deep as men's marathon running or something like that. So that's the other aspect for me, but the perseverance, the grit, I think that's why a lot of people like it. We can all relate to that. Like you're just out there getting your ass kicked for 24 hours or however long it takes. So the fact Jim went out, dedicated it, what, a year and a half to this thing? That's really cool. Like, I don't want to talk to him again in the podcast, but I can relate to his story. But some of the ultra marathon stuff is, it's like, well, a lot of people don't even try to do this sport. It's, it's, it's not nearly as competitive as track distance running, you know, whatever. Like, like a, it'd be interesting, John. I, mean, I think the Kenyan argument's the best. But what if some shoe company took a few top Kenyans and just said, hey, we're going to give you like 50 grand. We want you just to train for these things and sponsored them like that way, like they do Western athletes. Would we see different results in these things? I'm not sure because I mean, I think the American athletes have the luxury of there's a whole shoe market built up there. The shoe companies have shown they'll sponsor a few top people like that. So there's a route to essentially making a living. Kenyan guys need less money to make a living, but I don't think there's a lot of prize money in some of these things. So yeah, it'll all be from sponsorship. I'm kind of surprised that there haven't been more African runners take a crack at this. Um, but at the same time, like just the shots of like the whole ultra community, I think the regular running community at large should learn from this. It's like the world series or something. They all gather in this little town. They're lining the streets as the runners are coming in. I mean, that shit's cool. Like the running community at large, which the ultra is part of, like has this, it's like these sort of mega events. If we should, we should somehow, maybe that's what the New York city marathon is. Maybe that's what the Boston marathon is, but it's, it's just really cool to see people packing this, these, you know, the finish of this race and that sort of thing. Yeah. It reminds me a bit of the tour de France. The shots of the finish line are fantastic. Like you would see at the end of the stages. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see more Africans or more people from every all countries essentially get into this because the talent pool is pretty thin. Like you said, you're just draw, not drawing from as large a pool as marathons or track races. The other thing, the barrier to entry, even within their own community, is kind of crazy for some of these races. Like Western states, they're like, oh, 
they need he might run this to get a golden ticket to Western States. I'm like, shouldn't Jim Walmsley just have a standing invitation to Western States every year? I mean, I don't understand the ultra scene the same as track, so maybe that's the same as saying, like, oh, Carson Woolholm, we should just let him into Worlds every year. But, like, Carson Woolholm can go out and run one 400 hurdles race, and he's in. And it's just kind of crazy to me that some of these, the best athletes in the ultra world still need to run these qualifying ultras just to get in uh, at Western States or some of these other races. But maybe someone who's more plugged into this scene will say, well, it's the same as, Kipchoge needing to run a qualifying time for the Olympics, but it just, I don't know, it seems like more can go wrong and more is taken out of you by running a, an ultra. Yeah, they'll say, oh, it's, it's, everyone's treated the same. There's no prima donnas in the ultra realm. It's like, whereas I view it as some like BS license you need to like prevent competition because if, if people could try it with one off shots, but the problem is the races are so arduous on the body and so different. I don't think you can just take some, you know, some random, and there are, there are random 205 marathoners these days, right? Take some random 205 guy and, and drop him in one of these things and see what happens. No, no, no. I mean, I, maybe it's just a way of saying like, hey, if you want to run our race, you have to be serious about it. You know, you need to get this entry in and make sure that anyone who's showing up at Western States isn't there just for shits and giggles. They're there to take it seriously and race it. So I don't know. Um, that's probably... We've exceeded our annual quota of ultra coverage, probably in this one podcast. Well done. But any final notes? I wanted. I do want to talk about zero. Uh, sorry, Brussels, which is coming up on Friday. There's a couple of events there that interest me. There's also the US 20k champs where we've got possible BYU collusion. So, anything else on ultras before we move on? Well, in terms of splash pages, I see a splash page here for Hansley Parchment. Thanking the woman at the Olympics. So this proves fast pages are not only for like world record performances or American performances. Josh Kerr should have got one. They're for like stunning performances that we like. So Josh Kerr, you deserved one. All right, let's talk US 20K. This was the this was in your neck of the woods, Weldon, Connecticut, the nutmeg state on Labor Day. It's usually a lot of the athletes running full marathons will go there as sort of a tune-up. Emily Sisson won the women's race quite comfortably, 66.09. The men's race, and I didn't see this. I was traveling back from the UK, and I saw the results, and it was Clayton Young, 59.15, gets the win on the men's side, right ahead of fellow BYU alum, current training partner, Connor Mance, runs 59.16. And I saw this, I'm like, this result doesn't make sense to me. Connor Mance is a better runner than Clayton Young. Did something happen here? Kind of, you know, they were right next to each other. Now, Clayton Young was an NCAA champion in college, and he did win. What did he win earlier this year? The US 8K championships. He was second in the Bix 7, which was the US 7 mile championships. You know, he's not chopped liver. He beat everyone else in this race by 11 seconds. Sam Chalang was third, 59 26. But I did wonder if something was up, and then I read David Monty's race report, and he kind of mentioned as well. This I'll just quote from the race report: "Into the final mile, Young and Mance took control, and the contest was down to just two. But the final sprint was odd. Instead of sprinting as hard as possible to get the win, Young hesitated. He said that he was thinking about the overall standings of the USATF running circuit. 
quote, we thought maybe before this race that because I'm further up in the points and Connor doesn't have the chance to place in the points because he hasn't run in so many of the USA circuit races that maybe it would be advantageous for me to take the win and him take second if that was a possibility. Young told Race Results Weekly. That's not what Mance was thinking. Quote, I was trying to beat him, Mance told reporters. He continued, he passed me with like 300 to go and he's like, hey, let's finish it in together. And I'm like, dude, I'm trying to beat you. So, well then, you watch the end of this race on video. They crossed very close to each other, but Clayton Young got the win. Do you think the fix was in? Is this a rerun of the 2012 Berlin Marathon with Jeffrey Mutai and Dennis Kamedo? What say you? This is BS, John. The fix was in in my book. Uh, it just it looks weird to me. Mance says he was trying to beat him. Now, maybe Mance was trying to be in a higher training block and Young didn't want to beat him too bad, but like you don't see a lot of straining on their face. And usually somebody getting beat, there's just like they're flailing or something at the end. Now, the winner sometimes looks composed, but I'm now reading the New Haven Register recap of the race. And it says, the photo finish was somewhat calculated as the two runners had discussed strategy both before and during the final leg of the race. And there it doesn't, Mance doesn't say anything about, there's no quote from Mance saying I was trying to beat him. It's just, looking at this race, it didn't pass the sniff test. John, I can't believe you thought, oh, there's no way he outkicked him on his own. I can't believe you thought that just looking at the results. That's amazing. I found it unlikely. I'm just looking at these guys. I'm like, one of these guys is one of the biggest talents in American distance running. And Clayton Young, I guess I should give him credit. He did kick his way to a win at NCAA Outdoors in 2019. But I'm like, Connor Mance is gearing up to run like 206 or 207 in Chicago. I would assume he would smoke Clayton Young in this race. And maybe that's disrespectful towards Clayton Young. But here's the other thing, Weldon. Like he, Clayton Young admitted this is a scenario they had discussed before the race. He said, we talked about maybe letting me win. And Connor's saying it didn't happen. Connor's one of the fiercest competitors out there. If he says he was kicking... Man, who am I to totally? I'm not going to just come out and say Connor Mance is lying, but this was a, a, an interesting finish. And the fact that David, even David Monty, admitted it was an odd finish. And you know, looking at them, you know, were they both going 100% all out? Mm, yeah, I, I don't know, but it was a good run for Clayton Young, and not a not a bad way to go into his full marathon season for Connor Mance. He did last year finish first of this race here in 5908 i think the conditions were a little worse last year so that's kind of why i was also thinking like well if it was warmer last year and he ran s slower this year i kind of thought he'd be better shape than that but yeah i now looking at him finishing right with clayton young i'm like all right actually maybe it was a better result than i thought and the usatf running circuit winning the overall title is something athletes really care about these days now i guess I feel like when I was closer to competing, that I kind of looked at that. But what do you get for even winning that these days, John? Money, I assume. I know, but how much? I don't even think it's. I mean, they used to do. They used to have a big prize at when they did the 12K championships at the end of the season. Now I'm not totally sure. Okay, here we go. The top five individuals at the end of the circuit will receive the following payout. 20K for first, 15,000 for second, 7,500 for third. I mean, 20K is a pretty nice payday if you can get it, Weldon. So. I'm sorry. They need to look into this and... No. 
We can't have fixed events. That's what that is, John. I'm sorry. That's a fixed event. You can't do that. Right? I'm just really against I mean, if it was, yeah, it's, I mean. What, what's the Berlin Marathon comparison, John, again? Well, that one was Dennis Comedo and Jeffrey Mutai are training partners. Jeffrey Mutai is trying to contend for the overall World Marathon Major Series win, which is $500,000. So they had broken clear of everyone else. And I think everyone assumes that he told Comedo, hey, I found you, like, because you're right. He's also found Dennis Cometo, like, training on the side of the road and let him join his group. He's basically like, hey, let me win this race. And I assume Mutai, you know, threw a, a bit of that 500K towards him. But that's, you know, for two Kenyan athletes, that's a ton of money. I can understand why they were kind of going off that, even though I do think Fix was in at the end of that race. Boy, I guess once again, I'm going to throw it out there. Something wrong with me. It's okay to fix a race for five hundred grand, but not for twenty. I'm, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying that's what happened, and I can understand the rationale behind it. I'm I'm just sort of shocked it would even come up. I, I don't know. I'm just I'm sh- not shocked it would come up. This isn't like well, this isn't the U.S. Championships for five thousand meters. We have a mi- I know it's a national championship, but we have a million of these things. From there's a six k champ for the women. There's an 8K championship. There's a seven-mile champ. There's a 10K championship. There's a 15K. There's a 20K. There's a 25K. Is there a 30K anymore? There's a half marathon. And if Conor Mance is kind of using this as a prep race for his full marathon season, I can kind of understand why they reached this conclusion. It's not great. I think the best thing for the sport is athletes running all the way to the finish line going hard for every single win, even against your training partner, you get bragging rights. That's what Connor says he was going for, but yeah, I don't know. I think it was... I'd, l- I'd love to know the the truth, if that's not the truth. Well, this is technically the Facts on Law New Haven Road Race. Gotta get it right now that I live in Connecticut. I mean, if you win the race, you get nine grand. If you get second, you get four grand. So there's you would even be giving up five grand there. I still don't like it. Compete to the end. All right, well, then let's look ahead. We've got one Diamond League this week. It's the final Diamond League before the final in Eugene. It's the Memorial Van Dam in Brussels on Friday afternoon, U.S. time. couple of races I'm looking at here. One is the men's 2,000 meters, which is Jakob Ingebrigtsen's first race since Worlds. He said he's going off the world record. Some other names in this one, Mario Garcia-Romo, Abel Kipsang, Niels Laros, Nava Nordas. No Americans, interestingly. But the Goose is already in the final, so he probably went back to get some training. He already won his last two Diamond Leagues. Got a question for you here. So the world record is 444.79 by Hisham El Garouge in 1999. It's the same year he ran 327 and 343, his mile world record. So he's very fit. First of all, do you know what mile pace 444 for three for 2000 meters is, Weld? Like what pace it is? Like Yeah, what pace would you come through the mile at if you're running 444 for 2k? I don't want you doing math here. I don't want you stalling. Just what do you think top of your head? What do you think that would be? For a mile. It's fast. My god, like sub 350. 349. Yeah. So you'd have to run a 349 mile and then run another lap at that pace essentially which Same i think pace? About that. that's crazy 
Yeah, I'm like that is is damn fast. At the same time, I'm like this is a guy who ran 7:54 for two miles, 3:57 back to back. I mean, this is a lot faster than that, but it's also Jakob ran 3:46 the mile last year. I think he could run like 3:44 or 3:45 right now. He ran 3:27 for 1500. El Garouge ran 327 for 1500 when he set the world record. Like, I think if he's 100% recovered from worlds and he's healthy, he's not sick, I do think he gets it, but I'm not sure if those things are the case. So I, my prediction is that he will not get the 2K world record. But what do you say, Weldon? Pretending to be sick, John. That's what some callers want you to use. Um, I think he was sick. Do I think he gets it? No. I don't know. Just 444? That just sounds way too fast for 2K. Beforehand, before he told me what the record was, I'm like, that's got to be under 450, but 450 just seems really fast to me. Okay. I do think he'll win, though. I mean, do you, you don't see anyone could beat him in this race, do you? Nordas, maybe? No, John. Is this yeah. the World or Olympics? Hey, Jakob won the Olympics. He's only run one Olympic race and he won it. So Okay. Is this the world then? It's the only race no. he loses. Okay, I feel better. Only five guys ever have broken 450. Yeah, and only Jakob six Ingram guys ever have run the 2,000 meters. So, no, I'm just I'm just kidding there, but come on. No one runs this thing. It's like a thing where one of the best – it's a record distance. You know, it's something people try to break a world record or a European record. It's not contested because it's – silly distance otherwise but i don't mind that they're doing a 2k here i'm kind of interested to see what ingebrigtsen can run so that's fine with me we, i mean there's some other events on the schedule women's 5000 at least crannies in there it's not particularly a strong field a lot of the i mean we've had a lot of women women run very fast this year the only one who's in it who's done that is medina Adisa, medina isa the world junior champion from Ethiopia, 14-16 this year. She's probably the favorite. I want to talk about the women's 1500 because we said earlier in the show, Addie Wiley's making her Diamond League debut. There's no Kip Yegon in here. So here are the stars who are running. Nelly Chip Chia from Kenya, Lyndon Hall, Berka Hylom, Jessica Hall, Kira McGeehan, Laura Muir, Hirat Meshesha, Addie Wiley. I think it's going to be quick. I wouldn't be surprised if she ran well under four minutes in this. I mean, I guess this will kind of show us is her best event. The 800 is the best event for 15. Her best event is the 800. She struggles to break four minutes. If it's the 15, maybe she, yeah, maybe she runs 357. I did pull up the scoring tables. And the scoring tables put her three, 157 right at right above four flat, like four flat point one, which seems crazy to me. I think she's going to break four. Trying to pull up the Diamond League standings. Because I'm surprised some of the American men aren't in that mile trying to get points, John, to make sure they get make it to the pre-classic. But someone did point out Americans are allowed an entrant in every event. But I wonder, John, if that applies to like an extra entrant. Like we will have Yard Nagus in the fifteen hundred. He's already qualified. But can we are the meet organizers allowed to take a second American? I would love to know what the rule really is. I'm guessing no, and yeah, I was surprised Cole Hawker wasn't in this, but I looked. Cole Hawker's run two Diamond League races this year. He doesn't have any points, so you can't 
get into the Diamond League final without points. And right now, they take 10 to the final. There is a five-way tie for 11th. I guess there's a three-way tie for 8th. So the, the final guy right now, the three-way tie for 8th, is between Hoare, Nordas, and Tanner at 8 points. We know Hoare's not going to be taking that spot's spot. But you need to go to 7. That basically means it needs to be like top 3 here or to get in the final. He could do that, but that's a pretty tough, hard run for him. So either maybe Hawker, you know, he can backdoor his way in by getting that American spot. But it doesn't really make sense to me that to give an extra spot to Americans if Nagus is already in there. Or maybe he's just like, it's not really worth it to run this extra race. So I don't know, but there is no other American. There's no American in that 2K. All right, well, then, honestly, this is not on paper the most thrilling Diamond League of the season. I think most of the athletes are already qualified are just deciding to skip this one. I can understand that. It has been a long year for a lot of these people. And as long as they show up in the final, I don't really mind that much. Uh, but yeah, the 2K I'll be watching, 1500 I'll be watching. I'll watch the whole thing. We'll talk about it on the Friday show, but I don't want to pe build people up and think, hey, this is going to be a world championships uh, in two hours here. So wait, how many, if Addie Wiley, could she make the final? How many points would she need to get in this thing? So the 1500, I mean, it's pretty deep. The 12th place right now in the standings is 10 points, which is what you get for, a. I think you only get eight for a win, right? Or you get 12. You get eight points for a win. So, yeah, it's going to be kind of hard for Wiley to sneak in because she would need to win or come close and have a bunch of people scratch. So she's probably not going to get in. Interesting. I guess on the women's side, you haven't had like Ingerbits in her yard winning everything. So the points have been spread out more. Yeah. Kipiegon's only second in the point standing, is actually, because she's only run three Diamond Leagues. For Wayne Hailu, who's run five and has got 35 points. I mean, Natty Wiley's times are amazing. The stories surrounding her, a lot of drama, obviously. But also, we should appreciate, at her age, I think Mo was the Olympic 800-meter champion. Yeah, I was looking at this. It's like, oh, Addie Wiley runs 157.64. It's like a collegiate all-dates record or one of these things. I'm like, well, yeah, it's only a collegiate record because when Thing Mo was her age, she turned pro and won the Olympics at 155. So, yeah, she's not quite a Thing Mo, but she is still pretty special. Thing Mo, if you're listening on your vacation, thank you. We appreciate it. Everyone else, you want to hear the Brussels recap? How does Addie Wiley do? You need to be a Supporters Club member. Join today, let'srun.com slash subscribe. John, welcome back stateside. Till Friday, everybody.